640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's meet him indeed. We bring on the former deputy mayor of the city of Toronto, 640 contributor, Anna Bailao. It's great to have you this morning. Good morning. Got a lot to get into with you and certainly with our next commentator as well. He is, of course, a host of The Agenda on 640 Toronto. And, and it's a positive thing. Sometimes people say, that guy's got an agenda. No, he hosts a show called The Agenda. There's a big, dis- Steve, I'm defending you. for, And this is the last time in this entire next 20 minutes I'm going to. But yeah, you host The Agenda on TVO 8 and 11. New episodes in the new year, correct? In fact, I don't have an agenda. The agenda has me. Right, yes. that's a better way that's... to put it. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Steve. That's the best way to put it. Well, um, I, here I go again uh, telling Anna Bailao that her idea, the one she had, the one that no other candidate would say, I think it's also possible, downloading the DVP and sending it back and sending the Gardner Expressway back so the province would pay for it. Anna, this comes to fruition yesterday. What are your thoughts? Um, well, Greg, when, when I ran, I, I ran because I believed I had a good plan for the city. You know, this is a city that welcomed me and my family, and I wanted to contribute and to bring ideas during the campaign. And to see those ideas uh, now being implemented, I, I'm, I'm thrilled, uh, humbled at the same time. But I think, you know, a good idea was a good idea six months ago, and it's still a good idea today. So I'm thrilled that uh, that the premier and, and the, the mayor uh, came together uh, to the table, uh, started the conversation about a new deal and, and included uh, good measures, sustainable long-term measures that will help the city, like the uploading of the Gardner and the DVP. Now, let's stick with you here on this. Like, uh, you, I don't think uh, bitterness is in your character and your nature, but do, have you rolled your eyes a little bit and thought, yeah, that was my platform. Yeah, that was my idea. And I had the means and the practicality to get this done. And I narrowly lost an election to this person who didn't talk about these things and didn't have these principles. Listen, I, I knew that it made a lot of sense. The city uh, is going through a really difficult financial situation. Residents mm-hmm. are uh, having affordability issues. We hear it about it. We feel it. About, we feel it every day. And, uh, and these are very practical and good solutions. So I, I'm, I'm not frustrated at all. I'm, I'm, I can only be thrilled because at the end of the day, what I keep thinking is the impact that this is going to have on residents, on the good governance of the city, and, and on the sustainability of the city. And that's what I keep my mind on. Steve Pakin, let's talk about Anna Bila. Look, she's not in the room right now. Uh, <laughs> what a great idea she had. And Olivia Chow took that idea, ran it up to Queen's Park, and the province said yes. What, whatever we think about that, Many other many other mayors, many other city councils had attempted this with even uh, premiers prior to Doug Ford, and they got no success since 1997. How did this happen? You know, Greg, the first thing I thought of when I heard this news was, oh, my gosh, Anna Bailao is going to be so ticked off. That's the first <laughs> thing I thought, because because uh, look, at uh, during the uh, by-election campaign, uh, Anna put these ideas forward. And she was ridiculed by many, many people who said, oh, give me a break. The province will never consider this. You're wasting your time advancing this idea. Uh, Sure, you're going to get a few headlines out of it, and maybe it makes sense, but Doug Ford's never going to do it. So drop it. Well, what do you know? Here we are a few months later, and uh, the impossible is now conventional wisdom. It's funny how that happens 
so frequently in politics, eh? Let's stay with this on these highways. Do you worry at all? Because I heard, I saw the uh, the T O L L word. Um, do you worry that these highways, Steve, will be told by the province at any point in time? Could it even be after the twenty twenty six election? I I don't see it going up to it, but that that sort of whisper whisper is a little bit out there more based on yesterday's developments. Well, when you say at any point in time, I mean, any point in time (laughs) is a long time from now. Uh, I take Doug Ford at his word when he says these highways under my leadership will never be told. And I I cannot imagine that he would reverse himself on that position. He has been uh, extremely consistent on every significant new highway that's been constructed that there would never be tolls on them. So I take him at his word on that. Now, if the government were to change, if the conservative leadership were to change, uh, is it possible this could be reopened, given what a cash cow tolling those highways could be? Yeah, you'd have to say that's a possibility. Anna, what do you think about that? Um, it, it would be, I think it'd be a huge political misstep for Doug Ford leading into the 26th election. He's got enough on his plate. I think the other two parties are a little re-energized by a new leader to come by the Liberals and Mart Stiles vis-a-vis Andrea Horvath. But, but post the 26th election, as Steve said, is anything possible with these highways? Um, I can't see uh, Doug Ford doing it. Actually, he has removed tolls in other highways, so I can't see him going uh, in the opposite direction with these highways. Uh, Is it possible after 2026? Yes, it is. But the upload doesn't make it more possible or less possible. The reality is that there has been the city of Toronto has asked to toll these these highways. So Mm. the intent has been there from the municipality and uh, and it didn't go through. So the upload Mm. doesn't make it more probable or less probable. There has been attempts to toll the roles before. We'll see what the future holds. It's it's again, it depends on the economic circumstances, uh, the the government of the day. But I can't see uh, this government and this premier doing it. Like I said, especially since he has done exactly the opposite with other highways. Anna, let's stay with you with Ontario Place as well, because you you had uh, opinions on that during the uh, election campaign. Uh, Advocates say they're going to keep battling. They're going to keep fighting. But I think we even got the wind. You know, the wind was blowing in the opposite direction six weeks ago. Olivia Chow kind of conceding. There wasn't much she could do here. Is this fight now over? Um, I I don't think the advocates believe that it's over. I think we've heard from them uh, as early as yesterday as the deal was being uh, unveiled that they they came out the very same minute and and said they will be continuing fighting. There is an injunction going on and there is the the value for money audit. Uh, I think the chances are very, very low. I think that the government is going to move very fast on this uh, that we've heard Mm. just today as well about the MZO. So I think they're they're going to be moving uh, quite fast on 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 the Ontario place as well. Steve, how do how do you view how do you view it? Is there um, is there anything that that can be done at this point besides looking into maybe how the deal happened, but not being able to stop stop the construction and development? Yeah, I guess I separated it into two different things. There's the spa on the waterfront, which a lot of people obviously think is not the best use of that land, but it's not, you know, a sign that the apocalypse is upon us. And then there was that $500 million parking lot underneath Lake Ontario, which the province, provincial taxpayers were going to pay for. And and nobody liked that idea, maybe except for Doug Ford and and Terme, who were building the spa. Uh, But it looks like that parking lot is now off. So that is a victory for... Uh, the forces who were against that thing. But to stop the spa right now, I mean, uh, look, Olivia Chow, she she echoed Doug Ford's words at the news conference uh, the other day. She echoed his words when she said, it is called Ontario Place. It's not called Toronto Place. 
there's not much she could do here. She's facing the political reality that uh, that you can't get everything you want all the time. Sometimes you, you get what you need, as Mick Jagger used to say. One of the defenders of uh, Ontario Place for All is Norm Pasquale, and he ran for city council, and he said with Stephanie Smythe yesterday at 12, he's like, but but he he changed that variance um, and said it's not it's not Doug Ford Place, it's Ontario Place. I'm like, oh, if it was Doug Ford Place, that'd be really, the marketing would be really interesting for that, Steve. <laughs> I think I think we could see a, some some uh, some nice 30-second jingles with that one, I think, to go to Doug uh, Ford Place and, and spend the day getting a massage or, or fire down a water cannon, that kind of thing. You know, I, I, I could say something here, but it would get me fired. So just move along, Greg. Move along. Oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. Um, all Greg, right. there, yeah. Greg, there was there was only only one thing that 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 I heard yesterday, uh, just on passing, but it, it was a bit concerning to me, and it was uh, the fact that uh, the city will not consider to build some housing in the parking lots of the uh, current uh, science center. And I think that will be a missed opportunity. I think it's great that some activities are going to be uh, happening in the in the current location. I think it would be a great community hub for that community. But those parking lots would be a great location for some more affordable housing. And to dismiss that idea right away, I think it's uh, it's sort of short sighted. Yeah, you noted that in the spring. What what did you, I'm glad you stuck with that here. What 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 do you see in the land? It's on transit. It's near shopping. What else exactly. did you see that that was brilliant to to actually think about some affordable housing there? It's, it's, it's city land. It's on two transit lines. If the uh, majority of the activities of the Science Center are going to move now to uh, Ontario Place, it's a great location to have a, a wonderful community hub for that community and to mm. add much-needed affordable housing to that community. There's some being built. The city is, bu- is building some and uh, some other lands that it owns in the area. So uh, those parking lots, and again, nobody's talking about the ravines. That's not the case, but there are parking lots that you, you could add more housing and I think uh, it would be very appropriate for the city to eventually look. Yeah, at. that's interesting. Maybe some uh, current councillors will be more vocal about it and, and not slam the door as quickly as and that is the, the mayor did call. yesterday. That is the city's yep. call. The city could make that decision to do something like that with that land. And Doug Ford made that clear in the news conference the other day when they asked him about it. He said, no, that's, not, that's not for me to decide. The city can make that call. So maybe that maybe that battle's still not over yet. Well, Steve, I'll try and get you fired again. How about a permanent location for Ford Fest? How about we just have every <laughs> Ford Fest there in that parking lot? Hot dogs, rides for the kids. Well, um, I think the people pol- in Scarborough and Etobicoke <laughs> might have a problem with that. They've been enjoying it over the last several years. Yes. <laughs> we can't wrestle. Yeah, we, we have to be able to have nice things in those areas. We do. Um, all right, more serious business. A two-day extension of a ceasefire. We're into day one of the two now. Steve, um, it does feel like the city's been calmer. Maybe there's been less rhetoric tossed around, even even by our federal politicians. But Israel's probably accepted this begrudgingly. We've all watched these images of, of these kids coming out of these Red Cross vans. It tears at the heartstrings. It, they're breaking families apart still. It buys Hamas more time. But that kind of tells people they knew exactly what they were doing uh, tragically and, and graphically on October 7th. They knew what the hostages were for and exactly how all this would play out, didn't they? Well, that's right. And that's right out of the Hamas playbook. And I noted with interest the interview you just did with uh, the former general uh, leading up to the think tank session yeah. here. And and yeah, that was the point he made, which is that if you want to extend this ceasefire, uh, you know, some people are going to look at it as a humanitarian pause But Hamas very likely will look at it as a chance to retrench, a chance to rearm, a chance to do things that got this whole appalling cycle of violence started in the first place back on the 7th of October. So uh, it's with very mixed feelings that I hear the news that we're going to have two more days or they're going to have two more days of extension. I just am uh, 
I'm extremely worried about restarting the cycle of violence. And uh, the polls in Israel are almost 50-50 split. And I know people say, how could you not want these families to be reunited? But they've lived in terror from this organization, regardless, again, Israel and what they do internationally, the West Bank, etc., is a totally separate issue. I can understand Israelis being absolutely torn apart emotionally as to what they want over these next few days. I, I think even after you give your answer, you're still torn apart inside because, mm-hmm. you know, you see those images of those kids and you think, oh, my God, I want every single person that is a hostage to be able to come home. But at the same time, you know that, you know, this this ceasefire, you know, with 10 hostages being released a day, it is, you know, uh, empowering uh, Hamas and giving them the opportunity to to reorganize and to uh, to to come back um who knows, probably even stronger. And that is a concern because what's going to happen next? Um, uh, you know, that, that what happened on October 7th is not a good indication. Uh, and so um, it, you can't help but feel torn and have mixed feelings about this whole thing. Uh, you want to have hope. You want to have, you know, uh, you want to think there is a possibility that might, this might be the end. But, you know, the end is, is, is only the end when uh, we, we stop Hamas from having the power to, to do what they did on October 7th. That's Anna Bailao, Steve Pakin with her as well. We're doing Think Tank all the way up till the top hour at 8 o'clock on 640 Toronto. We do it every week, 730 to 8 o'clock. Let's get to these um, electric vehicle and battery production contracts, which raised uh, the ire of a lot of Canadians, Steve, when it was revealed in Windsor, um, $15 billion in federal subsidies for a Stellantis plant bought the company. Stellantis confirmed they'd bring in workers from South Korea. Now, there's two ways to look at it. One, they need to set up, they need to train, they're going to train Canadians and then they'll go back to South Korea. But it's easier said than done to convince a a wide variety of the public that that indeed will be the case. And uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne, the minister of industry, when he said, hey, I didn't I didn't know about that, that raised a lot of eyebrows as well. The opposition parties want to see these contracts. And I think the, the public probably supports the idea that this isn't just politics. This is about practicality for these communities to make sure the jobs are going to be local. Well, this is the big problem with this story is transparency. And I, I think it had the public been told and it's like it's it's shocking to me that the minister didn't know this ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But if, if if everybody had been told from the get go, yes, we're going to have to put billions of dollars into subsidizing the creation of these plants. And yes, there will be some temporary foreign workers from the original country brought in to help get this thing started. But don't worry, the the, the multiple thousands of permanent jobs that will be there afterwards uh, we'll all be Canadians. If we had been told that from the get-go, I don't think we'd be talking about this right now. It's the fact that this seems to be a bolt out of left field that nobody knew about, despite the fact that uh, our taxpayers are putting billions of dollars into this thing. That's the problem. And how we didn't know about this from the get-go, uh, I really don't understand that. I don't know. Anna, how does that happen? I, I, I don't understand. I think you're absolutely right. I, I would just add that now that that it is out in the public and we didn't know, it is imperative that we find out how does the government guarantee that these people are going back and that we have Canadian jobs? What is the plan going forward? How can we make sure? What is the time frame? Are they here for two months, for six months? What's, what's the next step? Uh, so come forward with that plan so that we can have some assurances that at the end of the day, they're here to do what we're now being told that they're here to do. 
which is just training, set up the factory, and then all those jobs are going to be Canadian. But I think we need to see the plan as well and how the government is going to ensure that and the time frame what, when that is going to happen. Like part, like politics, and politics is going to be politics sometimes, and, and I think especially the federal level, we're rolling our eyes at a lot of the, the rhetoric and the back and forth. But I saw, I Charles, saw Charles Souza, who's now a liberal MP, who's the former finance minister for the province, say he's shocked that the opposition wants to see the contracts. I'm like, oh, you're easily shocked then, because I can understand why they're asking, right? Yeah. Well, they definitely want to see the contracts, and I don't blame them. But but uh, I think we all understand that given that this is business and given that there are subsidies and given there are uh, you know professional competitive uh, issues related to uh, how much they got and, and some of the fine print, I, I get why they want to keep the contract private. But all the more reason why they should have been transparent from the get-go as to the fact that foreign workers would be coming in. That that is a that's not a little detail that deserved to be kept confidential. That is something mm-hmm. that we deserve to know. Uh, and I want to switch this to uh, where we're at in uh, in Alberta. And I don't I, I, I'm not going to profess to be more than a six out of ten in terms of being educated on the Alberta Sovereignty Act. But I find it quite intriguing that there's there's a really big pitch battle between their premier, Daniel Smith, who's gone after the federal government a bunch of different times about energy costs and about regulations and whatnot. So beyond the obvious, um, I think she's rallied a good a good amount of her supporters in in being little guy standing up to big guy, in essence, and saying, um, we're going to do things our way. How do you, are you in on this story? Or are you viewing any aspects of it that intrigue you? Uh, Greg, I, I'm not an expert. Uh, as, just as you said, yeah. I, I'm not an expert either. But uh, talk about politics. Talk about political theater. I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, I think this plays really well for her in her home province. And that's why she keeps pushing at the boundaries on this. I think she's getting, you know, good response in Alberta for what she's doing. And, and, and that's why she's taking the actions that she's taking. At the end of the day, I mean, mm. we, we, we see what is happening with the environment. We should all be, you know, uh, going into the same direction, taking uh, this seriously. But I think she's uh, very focused on the political game. And, uh, and this is what it is. And it plays well at home for her. And she's also digging in, isn't she, Steve, on uh, Stephen Gilbo, the uh, environment minister, who seems an easy target. I mean, that plastic bag ruling comes down, which says plastic bags are going to come back to stores. And he's like, we're going to court. This is no good. We're going to double down, triple down. And that, again, it's a little bit of an eye rolling maneuver when we think we get if we really want to tackle the environment. Of course, of course, things matter and, and climate change is real. But we can do a little bit better than throwing a fit over plastic bags. And Daniel Smith seems to have him just wrapped up in a in a real emotional uh, um, how would I put it tizzy over a lot of these issues well having said that maybe you could help me with this I think the name of the act is something like a sovereign Alberta within the United Canada Act now how can both of those things be true at the same time I'm very confused about that I mean does she want sovereignty for Alberta does she want Alberta to be its own thing or is she really trying to do something towards a United Canada I don't know how both those things exist at the same time. That I, when I saw the title of that act, yeah. I thought to myself, "That sounds awfully Orwellian." I don't quite get that. Can anybody explain that to me? Yeah, it's. It, are you getting any uh, any Rennie Levesque vibes from uh, 1979, 1980 with uh, with what Alberta's doing here, Steve? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, this is why don't why don't you just call it a you know I, I want my cake and eat it act as as well. I mean, it, it sounds like you're trying. 
I agree with Ann on this one. It sounds like a pure political move, and it sounds like you're trying to have things both ways. And uh, I don't know how both those things can mm-hmm. be true at the same time. I don't know how you're a sovereign province, uh, and that somehow contributes to a more united Canada. No, and a, a sovereign Alberta does not contribute to a more united Canada. I think that's pretty clear on the face of it, unless I'm missing something incredibly obvious here. Yeah, and any 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 more on this? It's uh, like you said, it's it's Daniel Smith's kind of playing to her base, and we almost say that like it's a negative thing right now. But if you do engage your base and they get really emotional and and they back your your angle, they're gonna stick with you for a long time. Uh, yeah, but it you know you're being divisive. You're you're not being truthful because you know it, mm. it's this, what we're talking about. How can you? say that you want to, you know, basically separate, but you want to be part of the United. So what are the risks? So when you're talking about this, what are the risks of, of, uh, of uh, mm. not being part of a United Canada? And she doesn't want to go there. That's why nobody can even make any sense of what this act truly means, mm. uh, because she doesn't want to talk about uh, yeah. what it would mean uh, in terms of risks for the province as well. So that's why I think it's such political theater. Just a couple minutes left, and uh, I sent you guys a new study. Uh, lack of deep sleep could lead to dementia, but there's an easy remedy. You can wear an eye mask. You can do this. I'm going to say this famously, Anna. Politicians are known for their lack of sleep. So are broadcasters, depending on the shift. I'm going to ask you, uh, is Anna Bailao a good sleeper? Good. What's a good night of sleep for you? Uh, six hours <laughs> and deep sleep. Yes. I, I'm going to bed early and I'm an early riser, so... That's about it. Steve Silk. I'm up. <laughs> Steve Silk pajamas and a sleep mask. Why am I picturing that? Uh, I don't know why you're picturing that. I don't know why. I, yeah, it's the first time I've admitted it, but maybe not the first time I've done it. Well, I, every time I get a bad night's sleep, I just think of you and think to myself, well, thank goodness I don't have to get up at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The, the key is, is cat naps during the day. You got to, and I, and, you know, when the agenda's on the air, I take a cat nap in the makeup chair sometimes. You gotta, you gotta find a cat yeah. because I'm with Anna. I only get six a night, and that's not enough. It's the remarkable strength of a marriage, though, to when you get sort of a to-do list for the day, and we need we have a lot of things to do. Kids are involved, and you're like, okay, that sounds great. I'll see you in two hours. I'm going to bed right now. It's not, <laughs> you know, when you're saying that two hundred times a year, uh, it's uh, it's a little, it's you, you you need to pull up pull up a lot of socks on the other end of. Uh, of being a good husband. I'll put You're it a magic that way. man. That's... You're a magic man. <laughs> loved, ha- loved having you guys this morning. Great stuff. We got through a lot. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Thanks, have a good day. Good to talk to you.